Good morning and a happy Mother's Day. Today we're going to be reading from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, and from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. I encourage you to open up your pew Bibles and read along with me. We're starting at Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miracles, signs, were, doing by, were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then we'll flip forward to chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. The believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it in the apostles' feet. Thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can be here this morning, that we can worship and praise you, we can sing songs, we can hear children's message, we can talk to you in prayer, we can hear your word. Lord, we pray that this time will shape us and form us to be more and more in, in, the Im in your image, to be the people you've called us and are shaping us to be. I pray that the words which will be spoken now, Lord, I ask that they be your words and not mine. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So I'd like to start off with a, with a question. And feel free to answer. What are some of the signs that the Holy Spirit are, are shaping you or shaping Bethel Church? Fellowship, growth, struggle. I, thank you. <laughs> Smiling faces, caring, sharing, singing praises. 
Reading the Bible, cool. There's lots of different ways that, that we can see that the Holy Spirit's at work and changing our lives and changing the church and at work in us. And one of the signs that the Holy Spirit's at work in people's heart and in the heart of the church is when the gift of generosity begins to grow in, in new and often unexpected ways. Jesus talked a lot about money, warning us about how easily money and wealth can, can become like a God to us, a, a place, something that we put our trust in, that, that we look to the future and say, oh, I'm going to rely on that. So I'm getting at an age where I'm looking at my RRSP and I'm looking at pension plans and I'm going, um, they tell me I'm supposed to have a million and a half dollars saved up within four years. And I'm going, oh, I don't know, I don't think that's going to happen. So I don't know, maybe Joyce and I will, I don't know, maybe we'll have to grow a garden or something. Paul warns in his first letter to Timothy that, that one of the roots of all kinds of evil, not the root, that's how we often think about it, but one of the roots of all kinds of evil is the love of money. So when the, when the gift of generosity, when the followers of Jesus begin to practice more and more the gift of generosity, Luke recognizes that what we're seeing is God at work. We're seeing the Holy Spirit beginning to change people's minds and hearts. And he brings praise to God for it. He doesn't give thanks for Barnabas and all these other people who are doing it, but he always leads it right back to, to the work of the Holy Spirit. See, after Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit into individual hearts of of believers of Jesus. These new believers in Jesus made their faith in him a central part, the central part of their lives. As Luke tells us, they devoted themselves to learning as much as they could from the apostles' teaching. After all, they had hung around them with Jesus for three years. They structured their time around fellowship together, saying, you know what, we are now brothers and sisters in Jesus. And family hangs together. Family spends good time together. And, and they, did it by, they did it by breaking bread. They did it by eating meals together. And then at the end of each meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This... This being together caused them to grow closer together as a community. They prayed and praised God constantly. But they also got to know each other better and, and in deeper, more personal ways. Leading to deeper caring for each other. See, the more that you get to know someone, normally the more you start to care for them. And through Luke's eyes, we begin to see how the church, the body of Jesus, is really given for, for the life of the world as a gift, as it brings newer and deeper ways of living together. We see in chapter 4 the impact of the Holy Spirit play out in the church as the followers of Jesus become more other-centered 
more one in heart and mind. It's a description that the church follows right after Peter and John have been pulled in front of the Sanhedrin and, and told, hey, you got to stop teaching and preaching in this Jesus' name. Like, come on, get with, the, get with the program here. The center of our faith is in the temple. It's in the teachings of the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees. It's in our rituals. It's in our sacrifices. It's not in this dead guy who hung on a cross and, and who blasphemed God and, and who was a traitor to Rome. Come on, stop it. Luke says, hey, you know what Peter and John replied? What is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then they go back to the believers and they pray. They go back and they say, hey, this is what's happened. We need to stay connected with God. We need to pray. I have no idea what they prayed about. Luke doesn't record it. But I can imagine they asked for strength to keep on preaching and teaching. Strength to continue to stick together and not let people pull them apart. But also for a desire to be shaped more and more like Christ. And then after they prayed... Luke says the, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Holy Spirit is at work in powerful ways and we see its impact as a new community of believers grows closer together. We see heart change happening as several wealthier members are led by the Spirit to great generosity, amazing generosity and they even sell parcels of land in order to provide for those who are struggling. God's generous character is pouring into his people shaping them more and more into his image. Bishop Barron, a preacher, he writes, from the time of, of Marx and Feuerbach and Freud, we hear the critique that religion is a wish-fulfilling fantasy, a game of pie in the sky until you die. The readings for this second Sunday of Easter give that lie to this criticism for they show how those who were convinced of Jesus' resurrection were also deeply committed to a more just society. See, there is no dependence on governments to provide for those who are struggling in your community. The church took personal responsibility for taking care of the poor, the widow, the orphans, and us. And this echoes back to the kind of people God was shaping Israel to be. We read in Deuteronomy 15. You know, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land your God, the Lord your God's giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, 
and do so without a grudging heart, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. This goes all the way back to Mount Sinai. This goes all the way back to before they're in the land of Israel. And God is saying, you know, you're my people. I've called you to be my people. But I've called you to be different from the nations, from the people around you. And one of the ways you're going to be different is by how you treat each other, how you live with each other. And it represents God's own heart. Jesus himself is generous in his gifts of grace and forgiveness and acceptance. Flowing them out from himself generously. Especially to those on the fringes, the have-nots, the rejected and unwanted, the unseen and uncared about. Our generosity with the financial resources that God has given us is one of the ways we imitate Jesus' generosity to us. See, generosity sees the world in terms of us together instead of us and them. The early church was so impacted by the resurrection of Jesus and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit that no one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They embraced the truth that we don't really own anything. We're simply stewards of whatever God's given us. We're called to manage and develop its potential so that its use can be used for the purposes and will of God and the kingdom of heaven. Professor Troy Groftgruben comments on the generosity found in the early church and the idea of having communal possessions. He writes, You know, Luke's description of communal unity and sharing would certainly have appealed to the prevalent virtues in antiquity. Whether the principles of historic Israel, there be no one in need among you from Deuteronomy 15. But you know what? Even the Greeks had this ideal of friendship. Among friends, everything is common as Aristotle taught. Even the philosophical communities of that time. Uh, Iamblichus, when he's writing about the life of Pythagoras, writes about the practices of hospitality. Pliny, a Roman writer, describes one's possessions as belonging equally to one's guests. He goes on and says, you know what? Given ancient virtues and Christian convictions, Luke's audiences likely found the idealism of Acts 4 more appropriate than surprising. The community's generosity itself becomes a tangible sign that authenticates its message of Jesus. Fascinated me as I kind of dug into some of those ancient pagan ways of, uh, of seeing the world and community and, and hearing those echoes to, Ju- to Deuteronomy and, and really those echoes to the heart of God, even though they didn't acknowledge God. 
Several of the early church fathers believed this description of the early church should be the model of the church and should actually be expanded on, including St. John of Chrysostom and Augustine. Augustine wrote, The believers, it says, had one soul and one heart. There were many souls, but their faith made them one. There were so many thousands of souls. They loved one another and the many became one. They were on fire with the love of God. And from being a multitude, they achieved a beautiful unity. If love made so many souls one soul, what love must there be in God where there is no diversity but total equality? St. John goes on and proposed that everyone should sell everything they had and place it in one pool of resources from which everyone would draw from it whatever they needed, creating a more just community. I'm just hearing all the squirming already in the pews. Several church communities over the centuries, influenced by the early church practices, but also by the principles of the year of Jubilee where every seven years all debts were, were forgiven and if your family had had to sell property, it was all restored to your family every seven years. Well, actually every 49 years. The debts were forgiven every seven. But everything was put back into when they entered the land every 49 years. There is a desire by the early church to withdraw from the regular world and to set up community-like, commune-like communities where no one owned anything. Everything was shared equally in the spirit of generosity. Now, for many reasons, and many good reasons, these communities never really became the norm. Yet following Jesus does create a different community different kind of community with ways of, of living together with values that will often seem really odd and even suspicious to those outside the community. I've talked to people who have never been part of the church and they always look at the generosity of people in the church. They look at this call to tithe and to do all these things and they say, you know, it almost sounds like you're cult-like and, you know, you're just controlling people's lives. And yet in other conversations, they often also express a longing. A longing in their hearts for a place of deep belonging. A place of living where they're known, accepted, and cared for. See, these communities of the early church fathers that they described were not so much about the money, but it was about living together in community with a spirit of generosity and justice where people aren't forgotten or discarded because they don't measure up. See, the church is more about being a hospital than a country club. It's a community where we encounter the great physician, where we live together with those who are called to be doctors and nurses and caregivers, a place to find healing and hope, a place to find a family. 
See, the Holy Spirit guides us and shapes us into the image of God, both individually and as a church family. And this speaks to the core of who people are. Speaking to the community found within God himself. And also pointing out how it's lived out in each of us in the church. See, generosity and sacrifice do walk hand in hand. Jesus' generosity and forgiveness as seen in his journey to the cross, his death and resurrection was a sacrifice so that we could receive forgiveness and salvation from our sin, from our past brokenness and hurts so that we can find renewal. We're showing Jesus' generosity again in the pouring out of his spirit into our hearts, bringing new life and hope, but also giving us eyes to see the world in a different way, to see people not by how the world identifies them, but to see each person that's created in the image of God, each one precious to God, each one loved by God. You know, even the apostles, they acknowledge that some people are never going to accept God or Jesus, but say that God doesn't desire anyone to be lost. That's why the church is here. To be a place where we can invite people to meet God, to encounter Him, but also to experience the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our relationships together as the body of Christ. Is the Holy Spirit working in your heart? Is there a desire to be more generous towards others as a reflection of Jesus' generosity to you? Jesus taught us to give so that our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. That's hyperbole, exaggeration, meant to encourage generosity. And wise people keep track of their generosity to help them recognize ways to be more generous. But it also helps them to recognize when generosity is, is much less about giving money but might be much more about a generosity of time to maybe help teach others how to shape what they've been given or use it or to grow it. Or when it's time to be generous with your skills and talents, not your money, to be generous with your time when someone is alone and just needs someone to care. It's time to be generous with grace, forgiveness, compassion, and love. See, with the Spirit's help, we learn generosity. And we learn to encourage each other how to be more generous in all those parts of our lives. Because by doing so, we help show the world who God is as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. We show the, God, we show the world what kind of a God we follow. We show them a God who loves them and who doesn't give up on them. That's why he's given the world the, the church, 
the body of Christ, a gift so that they too can meet Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your spirit who shapes us, who forms us, who guides us, who helps us to look more and more like you. So Lord, one of the one of the parts of being your image is a spirit of generosity. A generosity not only with the things we have, but also generosity of our heart, generosity of our time, generosity of our love and our, of our grace, all which flow from you. So Lord, may it all flow through us generously into the lives of our communities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.